Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious French corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. We're Robert. back again, Deacon Jeff. I, I love Lourdes. It's so beautiful. And, you know, and we always meet the most interesting people, don't we? We do. Of course, we've met this, uh, this guest several times before. He's a very important person. We're glad he's here again. That's exactly so, right. We want to welcome His Most Eminent Highness from Matthew Festing, Prince and Grandmaster of the Order of Malta. Uh, your Highness, it's so wonderful that you would take the time out of your busy schedule, right? I think that you, in fact, drove about a thousand kilometers. Three to countries be here. to be here. <laughs> We're so happy that you would do that. <laughs> well, um, yeah, it was, it's been quite a long day, long two days, actually. Right. Yeah, never, never, I've got here. Amazing. Well, <laughs> but kept I, you waiting, I apologize. No, no, no. Oh. We're happy. We're happy. We're blessed and we're honored that you would that you would take the time. In fact, I would take this opportunity just to thank you for your support of this. Uh, important ministry uh, for the Order of Malta and uh, coming out of the Federal Association in the U.S. and how uh, it's really impacted a lot of folks. And I think that the, the fact that you would take the time out of your schedule to be part of this is actually, uh, it kind of helped us. You know, we, got, we get better seats at restaurants now you know, and, <laughs> and all the things. It's just, it's just nice that you support us in that way. We really appreciate that. But speaking of which, uh, Your Highness, we thought we were, when we were, Robert and I were talking about an interesting topic might be your vocation story. Um, yeah, exactly where that came from. Because a lot of people, you know, the, the, the fact that this is a religious order. Yes, sure. Right? And so this is a calling and a vocation. And obviously, uh, uh, you weren't, they didn't look you up some, in some uh, book somewhere and find a guy that might fit the profile. <laughs> yeah. But well, you, you mean uh, You mean my own personal vocation? Yes, sure. I think. Yeah, and okay. we could tie that in yeah. maybe into yeah. vocations yeah, sure, for the sure. order. But really, sure. where did it come Great. from? Well, I, I, I tell you exactly. Um, it's, you never quite know how the Holy Ghost is operating, how the Spirit is what he has in mind. And, of course, he uses other people to make suggestions to you. And the answer is that <clears throat> a number of my relations were involved in the order, uh, and then a number of them were then involved in the Lord pilgrimage. Mm. And when I left the army back in 1973, they said, oh, dear, it's just too late for you to come to Lourdes this year but we'll sign you up immediately for next year. With the Malta pilgrimage? With the Malta pilgrimage. Okay. So in 1974, I came here for the first time with the order. And as it were, what, um, what I do then, what I did then is what I do now, which is to go keep on coming here. And so, I mean, I can tell you exactly, my vocation to the religious life is entirely based on coming here to Lourdes. Without doubt. Did you know what to expect? Had you, had you heard about the pilgrimage? Oh, sure, yes. I mean, I knew a lot about it because of all my relations had been coming for so long. Um, but, of course, you have to come here to experience it, to actually see it for yourself. Um, and as soon as I did come, I mean, I can't remember to the hour, but I can certainly remember that extremely quickly um, I was inspired by the whole thing. And here I, you know, here I am now. Your Highness, what was it about Lourdes that really struck you as unique? Well, I think it's a, it's a combination, isn't it? It's a whole combination of, of different things. Um, I think I remember being struck by, well, obviously you're struck by the sick, obviously you're struck by the devotion, then you're struck, I think, by, certainly in my case, I was struck by this extraordinary gathering of people. I think you would be, 
very insensitive if you weren't impressed by it. Were right, there professed knights there at that pilgrimage that oh, you yes, saw? Sure. That, oh, yes, sure. Uh, oh, yes, of course. Okay. Oh, yes, certainly. But what is interesting, of course, now, I mean, I don't know how many professed knights are here this year because I, I, I haven't seen the list yet, but there will probably be, for the sake of argument, I should think they'll be getting on for 50. Mm-hmm. And in those days, I think there was something like 23, 24, or something like that. The one or two others who were very old, and relatively soon after that, there were three of us all at the same time who all decided, more or less simultaneously, we were all the same age, that we should give it a try, and we're all still here. Okay. I mean, the other two are here this year, and so am I. So, so how yeah. is this vocation to the Order of Malta different than, say, becoming a brother that works in a, you know, like a Dominican brother yeah, or yeah, a, sure. a hospital brother of some other sort? Well, again, I think yeah. it goes back to this business of of what the Holy Ghost, what the Holy Spirit presents to you. Um, goodness knows. I mean, it happened that, you know, he organized for me and others to come here because of, you know, my relationship with the people who were already coming. And he didn't organize me to go to the, I don't know what, the Brothers of St. John of God or whatever it was. And I know, I very well remember when I became a professed knight, one of the monks at Aberforth, where I was at school, said... You know, Matthew, this is very odd. What on earth are you doing? <laughs> Why on earth didn't you become? Why on earth didn't you become a Benedictine? Do people and still I, ask you that question? No, no, no. <laughs> They've given up. But this, this particular man asked me that. And I said, good heavens. I've spent ten years at Ampleforth as a little boy. And I've seen quite enough of you lot. Thank you very much. <laughs> I think I'd rather do something different. Wonderful. Um, now, you but know, that's, that's absolutely true. That's beautiful, too, though. But, you know, and, and you said that sometimes the Lord uses other people, that, that the Holy Spirit would use other people to speak mm. to you sometimes. And, mm. and, you, and you were spoken to by, by those who would serve and by, even by the sick here. Mm. Sure. Now, did, did, you know, and you were struck by that, which is, I guess is better than being struck by lightning because you mm. know, sometimes the Holy Spirit <laughs> does some more profound things. But I wonder, did you... I mean, some people hear a voice or a, a, a distinct call, and you kind of knew. Did you did you hear some voice say, "You will be prince and grandmaster"? You know, or, or did you? Was it a subtle thing that kind of felt you that, that, that drew you? Yeah, I, I, there was no voice that came to me. I, I'm I'm pretty suspicious of that sort of thing. Okay. To be frank with you, I mean, I'm sure it does happen. Sure, you know, I'm sure it happens. Certainly, if you're some Bernadette, clearly <laughs> does happen. Um, and occasionally, you know, I was like the story of. of um, I always think that's a wonderful, you know, the story of St. Teresa of Avila mm-hmm. meeting the little boy on the stairs. You know that story, don't you? No, on the stairs? Well, she was walking up the stairs in a convent one day, the enclosed convent. And there she was walking up the stairs, she very mysteriously met a small boy. And she thought to herself, what the hell is he doing in here? How did he get in here? And what's he doing? And she said, who are you? And he said, before, do I, before I tell you who I am, you tell me who you are. So she said, well, I'm Sister Teresa of the Child of Jesus. And he said, I am the Child of Jesus of Sister Teresa. Beautiful. And she met him on the stairs. So there are these experiences. There are these funny experiences. But they didn't happen to me. And I don't think they happen to very many people. So then what was it for you? What, what, felt, what drew you? Was it a subtle sort of a pull? Or? Yeah, I think a subtle pull, really. You know, I rather enjoyed it. I saw lots of friends. I got awfully drunk. Mm. Oh. <laughs> I enjoyed myself. It was a hell of a good party. So, you know, I came back next year, and the feeling was the same, and it continued to be the same. So, 
You know, I mean, it, it sort of it sort of crept up on me, really. Do you think the charism of a professed vocation is it really tied into Lords? Is this a core part of what a professed knight of justice? Yeah, oh has? sure. I mean, I don't think I don't think you can be a professed um, knight in the Order of Malta unless you have a connection. It can be in different ways, but you have to have some sort of connection with looking after the sick, or you have to have some some feeling for 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 the. I mean, it's part of you know the, the two charisms of the order, which we we all know about, you know the the sacrium pauperum and the tuitio fidei. Of course, you have the tuitio fidei means the business of nurturing the faith, sure. Right. But unless you have some feeling for the business of the sick and the disadvantaged and the poor and all, all that side of life. I think it's rather difficult. I mean, why, why don't you become, for the sake of argument, a, a, some other form of religious right. person, as it were, who is doing other things? I mean, you know, we know perfectly well, <coughs> we spoke a minute or two ago about the Benedictines. You obviously have, they have this great thing about praising God through the liturgy through their monastic office, all that. And some people are sort of spoken to by that. And, you know, if you are, well, then you perhaps become a Benedictine. And if you're not, then there are other people, Trappists and people, who, whose, whose life is devoted to sort of praying in silence. I mean, there are all sorts of different, different, um, different sort of bits and pieces to religious life. And I don't think you can be a successful knight of Malta or successful professed knight unless you have some sort of connection with the business of the poor and the sick. What is the prayer life? We talked about the prayer life of the Benedictines. And when, after you had this experience in Lourdes, Your Highness, how does, how does prayer fit into the role of the Knight of Justice? Is, is the, your prayer life, is it basically the Mass or the Rosary? Or what, how do well, you it's, it's three, I mean, it's, well, it's okay. three things, really, I suppose. It's, of course, it's, the, it's the, the Mass. It's the daily Mass, if you, can, if you can get to it. Obviously, slightly depends on circumstances. It's not possible always. Um, the reason I'm late, as late as I am for this evening, is we've just been to Mass down the, down the street. And you look so holy, too. Anyway, the answer is that, of course, the Mass is part of it. Right. The next thing that, of course, is part of it is the business of the monastic office. Now, the, the Knights of Justice are only bound to say small bits of the office. We're bound basically to say... Um, um, Lords and Vespers and Compline, um, and they'll say the Rosary. So that's what they're bound to do. So there is the prayer, the, a much shorter prayer uh, life than, than, for instance, um, somebody like a Benedictine or a Cistercian does. But, I mean, there is that, so that's another very important part of it. And then the third part of it, of course, is the business of the caring for the poor and the sick. And if you're another sort of religious, well, then you have other obligations, other things that you do. Right. Um, I, mean, I think it, it just depends on, on different, you know, different, um, different religious orders have different, uh, different approaches to, that, to how they conduct themselves. Wonderful. Now, we have lots more to talk about. We still have a whole other segment to go, but we want to take a break here real quick. Uh, and we're going to come back in just a second. Before we do that, I want to remind folks at home we have a great website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And also, I'd love to hear, hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And, of course, if you have any questions for uh, His Highness, you know, you would just want to send those to me, and I'll pass them along, and he can answer them on the next, <laughs> on our, on our next little venture. But with that, we will be right back. I'm Bess Drzemski. 
And this is another great moment in church history. The world has long wrestled with belief in God, belief in a supreme and loving creator who transcends all things, all spaces, and all time. And countless words of wisdom have been written through the ages by Catholic and non-Catholic thinkers alike about the meaning, importance, and construct of faith. American writer and poet Elizabeth York Case writes, There is no unbelief. Whoever plants a seed beneath the sod and waits to see it push away the clod, he trusts in God. St. Thomas Aquinas, doctor of the church, writes, To one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To one without faith, no explanation is possible. If a man wishes to be sure of the road he treads on, St. John of the Cross tells us, he must close his eyes and walk in the dark. Faith, says Helen Keller, is the strength by which a shattered world shall emerge into the light. First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt writes, He who loses money loses much. He who loses a friend loses much more. He who loses faith loses all. St. Augustine, early father of the church, reminds us, Faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. In St. Matthew's Gospel, Jesus himself speaks of the great power and promise of this gift of faith. He tells us, For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. As defined in our Sunday Visitor's Catholic Dictionary, faith is the first of the theological virtues. Together with hope and love, faith brings about the life of sanctifying grace in the human person. Faith is truly a gift from God. We cannot manufacture it or create it out of nothing. It is not a faucet that we can turn on or off. No, it is indeed a beautiful and precious gift given out of love to each of us from God. And by definition, because it is a gift, it must be received. And once received, it must be nurtured, tended, cared for, cultivated, and developed. Faith must be lived or it will die. It is only in living a life of faith that we are truly alive. I'm Bester Zimski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're still in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe here in Lourdes, France, uh, in our French Catholic Cafe, Robert. Uh, we're talking to His Highness here about uh, his vocation, his calling. His To be a professed knight. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, I think I would want to just sort of uh, uh, look at this. Not Obviously, it's great that we're talking to you about your particular calling, but I think people who are listening who might not feel called to that, maybe called, but the, the importance of, of answering God's call, wherever that is and whatever that is for each different person. And maybe you could speak a little bit on just the idea of your willingness to answer God's call, right? Your own version of, of a fiat, right? Uh, well, I think it, it obviously affects different people in different ways. I mean, there are, there are all sorts of instances of people who, uh, I mean, there are, there are dozens and dozens of examples right. of this. Um, for example, there are people who feel they've got a calling, 
and they ignore it, and then they go away and they do something else, and the thing is persistent. And it, it can be jolly complicated because somebody might feel they've got a calling. They might then go off and get married. Right. And then maybe later in life, it comes to them again. I mean, for instance, what is very intriguing is, is we literally, I've just come back from Portugal today, where we've been um, receiving the, the final vows of an elderly man uh, who was married for years. Um, his wife uh, then died about six or seven years ago, and he then felt that, that, that he should respond to a calling to the, to the religious life. So sometimes somebody becomes a knight of, of justice and they are somebody quite young, and we have knights of justice here who are in their 30s, and then we have um, this, this um, Portuguese knight who, I, actually I don't know what he's saying, I, I haven't but he's, I mean, he's in his late 70s, certainly, and he's responded to something inside him, simply which was presented to him. I think, again, um, I don't know how it happened. I haven't mm. asked him, but, I mean, certainly he was inspired mm. to, 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 to follow a call after his wife died. So mm. there are all sorts of people who come to these, come to these things um, at um, a different, you know, the different periods of their life. Your Highness, do you have any advice? I know a young man in Memphis where we re- usually uh, show the Catholic or record the Catholic Cafe, and he was contemplating a vocation and was really intrigued by the Knights of Malta. He's a single young man. What kind of advice would you give to a young man that's trying to discern, is this something I would be interested in giving my life to? Uh, how to discern a vocation in the order? Is it to come to Lourdes? Is it... Is it what, how, how do you determine, what, as Grand Master, what advice would you give to people that say, I may be open to this? Well, I think Lourdes is fundamental. It's the, it's the moment of the year when the whole order, more or less the whole order, comes together. They come together in huge numbers. They come together with very large numbers of sick people. And um, that's the place to see the modern reality of it all. Um, I mean, years ago... Um, 200 and more years ago, people went off to Malta uh, and they saw two things. They saw the hospital of the order operating and then they also saw the business of defending, um, defending the faith. And so they, they, and I suspect that it was probably difficult for anybody to become a Knight of Malta if they didn't do that. And so that's why there was the whole business of they had this thing called going on your caravan, which was the expression they used. But anybody who was going to possibly become a professed knight had to go off to Malta, previous to that Rhodes, previous to that the Holy Land, and they had to do their length of service. And then um, they then were able to discern whether it was really for them or whether it wasn't. And again, I think the, the, the sort of modern equivalent of it is working here at Lourdes with the, with the, with the sick, or if not here, in other places. And, and obviously, um, I'm obviously particularly talking to you. I mean, I'm always very impressed by the number of people from the States who make the effort to come over here, because it's an expensive and comp- you know, it's complicated operation getting here. But it, it's, it's certainly, if somebody thinks that they want to see maybe, maybe what it might be, I think it's pretty fundamental they come to learn, frankly. Hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, uh, you know, also I guess we, 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 we have to look, at, again, at your particular vocation, your calling. It didn't just come out of the blue, and, I, and you mentioned the fact that you were aware of and, and you had relations uh, aware of the order. I would just speak of, uh, a little bit about your maybe your childhood and your parenting, and, and that they would keep you... Uh, 
Well, they were forming you, essentially, as, as parents and in your early life to, to answer that call. And did you have a particularly religious uh, young life, I guess? As a well, I, I, had, I was very lucky. I had two... You know, there's that expression you see. Somebody is described as being a devout Catholic. Right, I hear that. Well, you are either a Catholic or you're not a Catholic. <laughs> you know, how can you be? I mean, if you're a Catholic, you should be relatively devout. Is that like all, almost <laughs> pregnant? Yeah. Exactly. Yes, it's very similar. Um, <laughs> it's rather a good analogy, isn't it? Yes. Um, <laughs> well, the answer is that I was lucky. I had parents who were... You know, they weren't, they weren't religious nutcases, but they were certainly, they certainly went to church. They certainly brought up their children. I'm one of, you know, there are, I'm one of four brothers, and all of us, we were brought up to, you know, to take our religion, you know, relatively seriously. Um, we weren't, we didn't have it absolutely thrust down our throats. But there's no doubt about the fact that if on a Sunday I or my brothers had failed to go to Mars there would have been a big scene, a major family row. Um, and uh, so, you know, it, it, was it was just totally natural to us. It's been, and that's the, that's the basis, certainly, of... of um, I mean, I, I've, been a, you know, I've been a practicing Catholic ever since... Um, I don't know how old you are when you can first remember something, two and a half, three right. or something. And the idea of not going to Mass on Sunday was absolutely unthinkable. Do you I certainly would have been given a jolly good walloping by my father <laughs> yeah. if I hadn't gone, but it didn't come to that. Well, thank God for your parents. That's a great sure. thing. And, and I guess maybe it's an opportunity to speak to even some of the knights and dames, right, in, in terms of, of uh, they're active in this, in this calling, this ministry, really to sort of share that uh, with, with their own children and their own family. So it's not just mom or dad's thing. Mm -mm. Sure. Well, I tell you one thing, which is absolutely the case. And well, you know, well, 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 I think most of us are completely unconscious of it. But the fact is that people are looking at us all the time. Mm -hmm. And so we can set a good example, a bad example. Um, and we don't want to... You, I mean, I had a great aunt who was a religious nutcase. Huh. And, she was, and she didn't succeed in putting off the rest of the family. But she was a major religious nuisance. Now, she went in the opposite direction. And she was, you know, she was more or less death to anybody's religious practice, frankly. Um, yeah. Right. Well, you, she's not listening to this program No, no, now. she's <laughs> dead, thank God. She's already in heaven, lucky old Good thing. But, I mean, the answer is, the answer is that it, everything is done by example. And even if you think you're not setting example, the fact of the matter is you are because people are looking at you. Your, people are watching you. Your Highness, I have a son. He's now in third grade. But when he was in first grade, the teacher was asking the children what their moms and dads did for a living. Mm. And my young son, Robert, when it came to him, he said, oh, my dad, oh, he's a knight of Malta. But he thought that's what I did for a living because that's all he ever saw me. It <laughs> told the class well, and the that teacher. That sounds quite promising. <laughs> it doesn't pay as well as being a lawyer, though, does no. it, Robert? <laughs> no, but, it, but it's, just, it's just what he sees. But I think you're absolutely right. It's mm. what ki children learn from their parents by example. Of course they do. Mm. Oh, and not only that. I mean, it's, it's not only children. I mean, of course, you, you know, you watch a baby. You watch a baby or a young child. It never takes its eyes off it, what is going on around right. it. And you can, if you watch a child, you can see it's like a sponge. It's, it's, its brain is like a sponge. Everything is going in. And it's an extraordinary thing that, that it's like, I mean, I don't know, obviously later in life your, your brain becomes not as receptive. But a, a child's brain is incredibly right, receptive. Right, absolutely. 
Right. Yeah, and it's and I've learned as being a, a parent myself and, and nine kids and saying and, and it's not what you say, right? It's what you do. Yes. Right. Yeah, you got to watch what you say too. Cause well, they, this is they true. repeat it <laughs> quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had that unfortunate experience. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but now you also mentioned, uh, you know, other influences and in, and in, and in, in how God would speak to people. Uh, in your life in particular, I know you've got a particular devotion to Our Lady, right? Uh, you, you, I've seen you pray the Rosary, and I just I get that sense that also we need to be open to her calling and her prompting to lead us to her Son. Yes, oh, of course. Well, I mean that's certainly. If you think about it, if you think about the number of times in Scripture when she's mentioned, there are very few times, but whenever she's mentioned, she's always telling you something or doing something which leads you towards yeah. a son. I mean, you remember the marriage feast at Cana? Oh, yeah. Do whatever you know, he first tells you. Do what he tells mm. you. You know, that's, I mean, that's, that's what's so significant about her. She's always this figure sort of, sort of slightly in the background of things. Um, kind of uh, like John the Baptist, who's always, he must increase yeah, and yeah, I must and decrease. I must decrease. Sort of. And then there's a, I was interested in something the other day. Somebody was, was, was giving a lecture on, there's a very famous picture of the prodigal son. And they were saying, it's very interesting, it's a famous picture by Rembrandt. And you remember that in, in the prodigal son, the, the mother is never mentioned. Right. But when Rembrandt painted the scene, there is the boy, the young man, the forgiving father, the slightly scornful son, but in the background there's the mother. Hmm. It's a very interesting picture. And it, what is, I'm interested to know why Rembrandt was inspired to put in the mother. Clearly it's the, she must be, she's a representation of the mother of the family, the mother of Our Lady, I suppose. Right, absolutely, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very a, interesting, it's, it's a very interesting, clever clever interpretation of it and she's clearly there encouraging the son to come right. back well in your own in your own case your if lourdes is the what, what brought you to the order well our lady is the fount of lourdes i mean that's where it all comes from is the blessed mother that's why mm, they come here so. absolutely i mean it's a very <clears throat> you know she's a very um as far as i'm concerned she's a very all-pervasive figure you don't have to come to Lourdes to see her, or well, not to see her, but to find her. Right. You can find her anywhere. But, I mean, she's particularly powerful here because of all the connotations of the place. That's for sure. What a wonderful thing. You know, Your Highness, we've already run out of time, but it's such a wonderful opportunity to sort of li- get a little more uh, information about you and help, help <laughs> folks out who might actually also be uh, contemplating uh, a vocation. And so we really appreciate you, appreciate you taking the time to... To come and visit us here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you. And very speaking much of Our Lady, you. why don't we close just asking for her intercession on yeah, our behalf? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at The Catholic Cafe 
There's always room for one more at our table. 